0: Hey, welcome to the Renovate Podcast. This is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Life Stage 2. And this week, we are finishing up our series, The Stories That Jesus Told, with a parable in Luke 18, talking about prayer. So enjoy. All right. Good evening, Renovate. My name is Robert Newberry, as Ben said, um, and I'm excited to be here. If y'all do me a favor and open up to Luke 18, that's where we're going to be for tonight in Luke 18, 1 through 8. But before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit about me. You're like, who's this guy coming up here talking to you on stage? So I get it. I grew up in Austin, Texas, where I grew up a Longhorn fan. I know, I know. But then I saw the light and then I went to TCU, so go Frogs. Okay, A&M people. Okay. But in that, um, I loved it, majored in social work, and then I came uh, to work here at Christ Chapel through the residency program, loved every second of that, and then I went on staff with the middle school ministry. And if you want to know what it's like to do ministry in middle school, it's basically throwing a bunch of pizza parties and listening to guys talk about Fortnite and awkwardly texting girls. It's it's a trip. If they made live TV of it, it would be the greatest watch cable television show, I promise you. Um, but in that a little bit about me, a little bit about what drives me is one of the things that really just makes me so excited to do what I do, um, is I love the theme of restoration and progress in people's lives. Like I love coaching people. I love helping them get from one step to another. It's just something that deep within the core of me speaks to me. Like it's so bad that I will watch the same movie. 20 times in a row every single night, like night after night, and my roommates hate it because they hear the same intro to the movie over and over again, but y'all, I love it. Like, Greatest Showman, come on, how many of us, it's the best movie, right? Like Hugh Jackman taking people who don't have a belief in themselves, and he's just like, no, let me show you how great you are. It's the best, and then Lord of the Rings as well, where it's just like, Aragorn coming in, conquering, being the king, it's the best. I love it. Um, And in that, like, life provides me with those opportunities sometimes, and I just love every second of them. And one of the ways where I was unwillingly confronted with one of those um, was when I was doing a program called Young Guns. Um, And that was when I was 18, I was an outgoing senior, and Young Guns was a program that was pitched to outgoing high school senior guys. And it was basically, they had this mantra of when an orange is squeezed, orange juice comes out. So when a Christian man is squeezed, what comes out? And I was like, all right, this sounds pretty intense. Like the 18-year-old prideful high school senior guy in me is like, all right, challenge accepted. Game on. Let's see what happens. And boy, was I in for a rude awakening. Like as soon as I get there, we do the whole, you know, like parents drop you off, the orientation. It's great. They're talking to their parents about what their goals are for us in the ministry. And as soon as parents leave, it turns into like Jesus Boot Camp. Because they're like, all right, you have two minutes, go get changed in your jeans and meet us out on the porch. And we're like, oh, they're serious. So we get out there, we uh, get all dressed out, and they're like, all right, follow us. And they just take off on a dead sprint. And we're like, what on earth are these guys doing? And for the next five hours, they would have us going from camp to camp at Pine Cove when all these campers would come in to spend the week at camp. And we were basically the pack mules unloading all of their trunks. And it was grueling. Like, I remember one trunk, I don't know how this is humanly possible but I swear she had about 200 pounds of clothes in there because I went I went to go pick it up and I like lifted it and I couldn't budget and then like out of the corner of my eye I see this dad this massive hulk of a man get out of his car and he's like yeah you're probably not going to be able to lift that and I was like all right challenge accepted throw it again and I feel like I break my back in half But it turns out that trunk was her dad's trunk because he was a Marine, and so that was the trunk they gave him to live out of for a year in Afghanistan. And his daughter took it and filled it for a week of camp. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing? This is unreal that you would spend this much time taking your whole house to camp. Like, camp is so you get away. But they just had us running ragged, and it was crazy. And so we're beat, like we, we go to bed that night and we're all sitting in our beds, just lying eyes awake, being like, what did we get ourselves into? And then the next morning, our, we wake up and our leaders are outside of the cabin already and they've just left a note for us on the door. And it says, yesterday was pretty tough. And we're like, yeah, you think? And it says, well, we're gonna give you the chance today to earn your right to ride in a van. And we're like, oh, this is like a breath of fresh air. This is the best thing in the world. What do we have to do? And so they're like, "We." are at the burn pit. Come meet us there. By the way, you have five minutes. So we're like, oh man, so we gotta get dressed again. We gotta get going. And so we hightail it out there. And as we're running, we've gotta run up and down these hills, these paved streets that we're going on to get to the burn pit. And I'm running next to a friend of mine, Daniel. And Daniel probably got the worst of it yesterday. He got picked to have to run behind a trailer and take all the bags off a trailer. He was beat. And so today, as we were running, his breathing was getting more and more labored as he would go on, and all of a sudden, I hear something that sounds like a gunshot, and I'm like, what on earth just happened? So I look around, and I see Daniel behind me, face down on the pavement, just sliding down the hill. And what had actually happened is Daniel had been so exhausted from yesterday that his calves had cramped up, his hamstrings had cramped up to the point where his legs were pinned behind him. And so as he was running, he lost all use of his legs and just ate it down this hill and was just sliding. And so we're thinking, like, what did we get ourselves into? Why are they doing this to us? I thought they loved Jesus. But in this, like, so we finally get to this place. And we're like, all right, yes, we're here. What do we have to do to earn our right to ride in this van? Like, get us to this place where we can finally rest. We're tired of being here. We are losing our minds having to run everywhere. We're just struggling. We're not making it, so what do we have to do? I'm like, all right, guys. All you have to do is just uh, go get your Suburban. It's right behind us. And we look behind him, and there's nothing there. Like, this is the meanest prank of all time. Like Daniel's over there with half his nose hanging off his face and you're playing a prank on us right now. Cool. This is great. But, and then they're like, no, go, go check out in the field. Go look out there. So like we walk over there and then as we walk out into uh, the field, we see that there's this 12 by 15 foot hole on the other side of the field and there's 16 shovels placed around it. And the sinking feeling hits us y'all. And we slowly start to like look over there and we peer, and sure enough, down in this hole, probably about 10, 12 feet down, is a full Suburban. <laughs> they had taken the time to get an excavator and dig a basically a giant pit and put this Suburban in it. And our job now, in order for us to get to ride in a van, was to have to dig a ramp, attach a towing cable to this Suburban, and pull it out. And so we're like, is it too late to quit? Um, but we start digging, and we probably dig for five, six hours, and we're just going at it. It's like a scene out of holes, like we're all just sitting there just digging, it's nuts. (laughs) We're getting blisters on our hands, it's rough. Um, But then we finally get to the point where we're like, all right, we've got a solid ramp, it's not too steep, I think we can do it. So we're gonna try and pull it out. And we attach the towing cable, one of our leaders gets in the Suburban so he steers it so it doesn't hit either side of the wall, and we start pulling. And we get about a foot we get some momentum going. We're pulling and pulling. And then all of a sudden it just stops. And it, it's like that trunk that I tried to lift. Like there's nothing that we're going to do at this point that's going to be able to move it. We are stuck and we have no hope of getting anywhere. And we don't know what to do. We're like, we've already lost one guy. If we have to run back, we're probably going to have two more cramp up. we got to figure something out. This isn't good. Um, so we take a break. Our leaders talk to us about what it's like in failure because they had this whole teaching thing. We didn't care, we just wanted to ride at that point. Like, we're like, sure, we'll listen to your lesson, just let us ride in the van. And so we go one more time and we pull it and after about 30 minutes of really awkward grunting, the leaders look over at us, they've decided, all right, they've suffered enough and they actually come and they help us and they pull it out of the ditch. And what we find out later is that this was, this whole thing was a setup because the guy who was in there driving was actually, once we got halfway up, just putting his foot on the brake <laughs> in order to watch us fail. And when we found that out, we were so mad. We, like, we wanted to quit. Like, but we didn't care, we got a van, we were good. At that point, we were done. And that was just one of the most joyful moments in the world, just finally realizing that we had gotten to this desired outcome. We had finally reached the point where we could taste the freedom of not having to run everywhere. And the only one pretty bitter about it was Daniel because he had to sacrifice his nose. But it was great. We got to this point and we had finally arrived. And it's a super fun story to look back on because I love that time of my life. It was such a transforming time. But when I think of that story, I think of that suburban. I think of that feeling, that sinking feeling inside of me when our leader put on the brake and it got stuck. Because I remember feeling so defeated I remember feeling in that moment that it was never gonna change. It was never gonna get better. And as I describe that, I bet there's feelings in all of our lives now that are pretty similar to that feeling of being stuck. I bet there are things going on in each and every one of our lives where we can resonate with that feeling of just not knowing if we're gonna be able to move on of not feeling like there's a way to get us out of whatever we're going through. I don't know whatever it is for you. It could be addiction. It could be cyclical bad habits that just keep spiraling your life down. It could be broken relationships, whether you're a parent, a sibling, a friend, where there's no hope of reconciliation. Or it could be the lack of a relationship. There are all these things in our lives that make us feel like we don't know where to turn next. And especially this last one I can resonate with, being in an emotional pit where there's deep hurt and loss. Because about three months ago, I had to say goodbye to one of my best friends after we fought a two-year battle with cancer. Um, And I remember in that moment saying goodbye to him that night and knowing that he went to be with Jesus, but then the next day waking up and not wanting to move, not wanting to step on because I didn't believe that there was anything else better out there because I didn't believe that the grief that I was feeling would be great, would be overcome by anything else. I felt swallowed up by it. And so we all have this thing that we're stuck with. Whether you've been in it, currently going through it, or will go through it, we all have these moments that we deal with. And for me, loving that restoration, that progress so much, like there's gotta be a way for us to be able to move on Past whatever we're stuck in for me I have to believe that there is a way for us as believers to get out of whatever we're stuck in that feels like we just can't move that feels like we're walled in on every side to where we can move on to a place where we're able to rejoice we're able to laugh we're able to have fun we're able to be happy thankful for where we're at and I'm here to tell you that I think that that answer is prayer and I'm not talking about the prayers that you just throw up, like every now and then, like God, if you could let me do great on that test, that'd be awesome. Um, <clears throat> let me put it this way. Um, let me use a couple quotes to help kind of you build some guidelines in a prayer for us. Tim Keller says, "Prayer is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There is nothing more important, or harder, or richer, or more life-altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. So it's life-changing." A.W. Tozer says to desire revival and at the same time neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. So prayer brings the dead to life. And then Hannah Moore says, prayer is not eloquence but earnestness. Not the definition of helplessness but the feeling of it. Not figures of speech but earnestness of soul. And then finally John Piper says, prayer is the form of faith that connects us today with the grace that will make us adequate for tomorrow's ministry. And so there are a few things that are so singularly critical to our health in the Christian life as prayer. And I think the text is going to tell us the exact same thing. So if you would, open up your Bibles with me to Luke 18, and let's dive into the passage. And so this is Jesus talking, um, and it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they all ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? And so I wanna draw your attention to a couple things in this passage. And first is the immoral judge. What it would have been like for a judge to hear cases in that day would have been, if your city was big enough, you had your own judge in the city. But if it was small enough, there would be a traveling judge who would be over multiple cities. And what he would do is he would set up a tent on the outside of your city and everyone who had a case would come to him and he would hear the cases based on whoever would bribe him most. Most likely that's what would happen. And so, especially in the case of the immoral judge, he would probably look to people who had power or who had money who could offer him something that would benefit him so that he would hear their case. And then you have him contrasted with the widow who was poor, who was an outcast, Who is incapable of providing for herself, let alone coming up with something of value to bribe this judge in order to hear his case. And so we have this judge who's unwilling to yield, but it says that the widow's persistence in the end is what ends up beating him down, what ends up winning him over to the point where he yields and finally says, you know what, fine, take your justice. I'll give it to you. It actually uh, says that he gives in so that she won't give him a metaphorical black mark on his record because people in that day would have looked around and they would have seen a widow continually coming to this judge. They would have started to question like, is this judge even capable of giving justice? Because he can't for this widow. She keeps coming to him. And is he just inadequate at his job? Is he not able to do this? And so for protecting his own name's sake, he gives in to this woman. And then Jesus comes in and says, how much more will your God, a good God, come to answer his children for his name's sake? And I know some of you hear this and you hear like, okay, God's going to answer my prayers if I just keep coming to him. And some of you are like, you know what? I don't buy it. Like I've done the whole thing. Like I've set alarms on my phone. Like I've done the whole prayer retreat. I've done the prayer weekend. You know what? I'm just, I'm not really buying it. Like I've been praying for those things and I just haven't seen them happen. So Robert, are you telling me, like prayer doesn't work for me? Are you telling me that God doesn't want to listen to me? Because if I'm honest, it feels like he's silent. And y'all, I wanna be perfectly transparent, I've been right there with you. Like I prayed for two years for my best friend to be healed of cancer. And there were a lot of times in there where I felt like God was silent. There were a lot of times where I was letting my circumstances around me dictate what was going on. And so in that, I'm here to tell you, God is absolutely there for you. It says it in his word. And in that, I want us tonight to look at three different things that I think are going to help key us in on what our prayer life should look like. So that way we can feel connected with God. We can walk in a healthy relationship with him and communication with him through prayer. And so if you're a note taker, this is the time to start writing down notes because the first point that we're going to look at is your consistency. How regular are you about coming before the Lord? Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard against your, uh, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so how regular are you about coming before the Lord in prayer? Do you have a time, a place, do you have a plan? Because y'all, if I'm real honest in this, like, routines in me are about as opposite as you can get. Like, if you've been around me a while, you know that if there's a set schedule, like most likely I'm going to try and push against it. And so for me talking about consistency in prayer, it's just like, if I don't make a plan, it's not going to happen. And so what I'm here to challenge you tonight is to say, set a time and a place where you have a specific designated space in your house where you're gonna go to and you know, okay, at this hour of the day, this is when I pray to God. This is when I'm gonna come before the Lord, not as the only time throughout your day, but as a set time so that way you know that you're gonna establish your communication with the Lord. And if you're hearing this right now and you think like, oh, set time, like that feels like legalism. That feels like I'm kind of reducing God to just checking this box, it kind of feels like I'm just doing this prayer thing so that I kind of get what I want. I think it's absolutely not the case. We come to God in prayer in consistency because we know that talking with our Father is the greatest thing for us. Like, we talk to God in order so that we can align our hearts with His. We can spend time with Him and grow in relationship with Him. And so if we set that time, it's just building it into our life, the priorities that are already there. And so that plan, that challenge, that consistency in our life, when we build it in, it's gonna do these wonderful things for our life. And it'll take us from having a prayer life, where it's like a kid wanting a Christmas present, like we've all been there, where you've had that Christmas present that you've wanted really, really bad for about two weeks, and then as soon as you don't get it, you're like, yeah, really. Or you did get it, and you're like, well, this is cool for like five minutes, It takes us out of that mindset where we're just like, oh, I'm gonna really exert all my will where I'm just gonna pray for this as hard as I can for a little bit. and It puts us in this place where we're starting this regular communication with the Lord where we're growing in relationship with him. We're walking in a way where we're building that into our life and building this communication with our God. And so consistency is the first one. The next one we're gonna look at is your content. What are your prayers focused on? Another way to put this is how big are your prayers? You can tell how much you trust the Lord is going to do things in your life by how big the things are you've offered to Him. Like, I've been in, I don't know how many countless times, where people have kind of just asked me out of the blue, like, hey, Robert, what can I be praying for you for? And I'm caught so off guard that I'm like, "Uh, my brother has a big presentation coming up. And. It's like, really, there's nothing in my life that I need prayer for? Like, if we were to recognize what, who we're talking to in this moment, it would take us from a place where we give God these small things and we open it up and we start giving God this overflow, this outpouring of everything that's on our heart because we know who we're talking to. We know that we're in communication with the God of the universe, And the other way that we kinda go out of bounds on this one is we tend to treat God like a genie. We tend to treat God as a 24-7, 365 Christmas wish list. Like, I'm sure you've all been building your Christmas wish list with the family going on right now, and it's this awesome, exciting thing. You're just like, oh yeah, I'd want this, this, and this, and you send it off. And if we're not careful, we tend to do that with God where we start going through our day and we see things that kind of pop up in our life and we're like, oh God, that'd be cool. Oh God, you know, like I just drove by Urban Outfitters and they're having a 60% off sale, so like I've really been wanting that promotion at work, so if you could do that so I could go buy those clothes, that'd be awesome. Um, And we do all these things where we start to take God out of this place of his throne as king of the universe and we put him in this place where he's just like, you know, God, maybe you could give me all this stuff. That'd be great. And even in all of that content, it just takes us out of a place where we recognize who God is, and we just go really out of bounds with it. And so what is your content, what are your prayers focused on? What is that singular thing that you're focused on? And then lastly, we've got consistency, content, and then the last one is conviction. What is the reason you are praying? What's the main driving force behind your prayer? because if God's chief goal through our life is to make much of him, if we're living our lives as this living sacrifice for him, if we're here to say, God, use me, then our prayer should kind of follow along the same line. Like we can take cues from Moses in Exodus 33 when he says, God, show me your glory. He has the singular focus to say, God, I just wanna see you. Like, I just wanna see you. He's in the desert and His singular singular focus is, God, I want to see you. And if I'm honest again here, there's a lot of times where my prayer life isn't for his name's sake. There's a lot of times where my prayer life is for Robert's name's sake. I pray for the things that I really want, I pray for the things that would make me really happy, I pray for the things that would make my life really, really convenient. And I hope God's gonna come and ride right in and save the day and kind of smooth out all the areas in my life. And many times when I'm in those pits, when I'm in those situations where I feel like I'm being overwhelmed, that's kind of my heart behind it. Where I'm just like, God, make these things go away so it's not hard for me anymore. God, make these things go away. And if you're right there with me in that, I think God wants to do something so much greater with our prayer life. I think he wants to chi- change it and shape it in a radical way to where it changes it from being focused singularly on our circumstances around us into a prayer life that is focused solely on the glory of God so that it completely wipes away our recognition of the circumstances around us in the face of who he is. Because I promise you, leaning into this God, walking with him in this way will change your prayer life from one where it's focused on all your circumstances around you into one where it's focused on the God of the universe and seeing his glory come in your life. And the reason I know that, <clears throat> one of the practical ways that I got to see that lived out was through this story with my best friend. Um, when he got diagnosed with cancer, we were living together. And I got to walk with him and got to talk to his parents and kind of communicate with him while they were back in California. And in that, I got to kind of grow close to his mom. And so in that we would talk back and forth a little bit. And in the last kind of days she was around and so we got to hang out then. And she was always this rock. She was always just so solid in her faith. And I was so strong for her son. I just couldn't even imagine what was going on in her life. And so finally at the funeral I just went over to her and I gave her a big hug and I asked her, you know, Myra, how are you doing? How are you and God? Like what's going on in your heart? And in that, she got this little smile on her face. And she said, Robert, I don't know why, but I never never prayed for Phil to be healed. My prayer was always, God, use him in his suffering to bring others to you. And y'all, that floored me. That floored me that a mother in the face of a terminal diagnosis of her son would be so singularly focused on bringing God's glory to this earth that she wouldn't even ask for the healing of her son. That she was instead sold out, devoted to the God of the universe in a way where in the face of losing her son, she would say, God, your glory be made great. And you know, I was hit with this conviction. Like, I want that prayer life. I want us to be a people who has that prayer life because then when we walk out of a prayer life that is so singularly focused on our circumstances around us, when we walk away from this continually being bound to our circumstances and moving into a prayer life that's focused on God's glory, it takes away the power of our circumstances to define the hope, the joy, the peace in our life it moves us into a place where we are overwhelmingly thankful with whatever God is doing in our life because we know he's too good not to be working. We know he's too good not to be moving in all those circumstances. So instead of worrying about the circumstances, we say, God, show me you. God, I wanna see you move because that's the most satisfying thing to me. That's the ultimate thing that I want in my life. So God, would you please be made great? because whatever way my life can be lived so that your name would be made great is the way that I wanna be. Y'all, that's a prayer that I wanna have every single day. And, but it's tough because we have all those things that come into our life, we have the circumstances, we have the frustrations, we have the grief and the anxiety that come in and make us feel like these walls are surrounding us to where we can't even begin to see over them. But if we were to fight, if we were to build that consistency into our life to where we would have that regular communication with the Lord where we could be reminded of who he is and then we would give him this overflow of our heart that everything that's on it, we would watch as he gradually changes our heart away from being dictated to the circumstances around us and into this place where we are singularly focused with seeing his glory be made known here on this earth. Now that's what I want for us. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for everyone here. So may that be it. Pray with me. Father, we love you. And God, I can't pretend to know everything that's going on in this room. But God, if there's anyone who has resonated with that feeling of being stuck in their life, if there's anyone who's felt like they just can't move on right now, God, I pray Psalm 107, 28 through 30 over them right now. It says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. God, I pray, I pray for the storms in our life. God, I pray that instead of being focused on the transient circumstances, that we would instead be singularly focused on your glory. God, you promise that you're the good judge who will hear us out, who will come to our rescue, who will be there for us. So God, I pray for our brothers and sisters in this room that as we deal with these struggles in our lives, as we deal with these pits, God, may we turn away from focusing on our circumstances and turn to you. May we throw those things What you hear from this message is that there is a God of the universe who wants to hear from you, that he opened a way for you to come and lay all of your burdens on him. In doing that, he wants to take your focus off of your circumstances and put it on him, the God of the universe. And then we get to sit back and watch just how good our God is at handling all of those burdens that seem so heavy to us. And so if there's anything going on in your life, if you're worried about anything, If there's anything that you just feel stuck in, I pray that you would take it to the God of the universe. Join us in laying down our lives, our cares, our worries, our burdens before him and watching how good of a father he is to care for all of those things for us. And if you're in the Fort Worth area, I encourage you to check out our website at renovateftw.org. We would love to hear from you, anything you got going on in your life. We'd love to pray with you or just get a cup of coffee with you if you want to meet up. come check us out we're going to be off for a few weeks but we'll pick back up January 16th and we would love to see you then